Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today joining me, I have Christopher Amrod. Christopher is currently a fractional VP of sales for Innovate Map. And uh, Christopher, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Thanks so much, Chris. Happy to be here and happy oh. Friday. Yeah, happy Friday. It's a little chilly here. I'm in Denver. So I got my fleece jacket on. It's a little chilly here today. Um, I hate being cold, which probably isn't good living in Denver. Um, Chris, tell me a little bit about your current role, what you're doing as a fractional VP of sales. Sure, sure. Happy to. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, I am the, uh, the fractional VP of sales and business development for Innovate Map. Uh, Innovate Map is a is a product agency, and they're helping primarily early stage companies, you know, startups and scale ups with everything from brand strategy to product design to product marketing. Really helping these early stage companies nail their go to market fit and just positioning them to grow and scale. Uh, so I've uh, I've been you know friends with a few people within the organization for several years now. Uh, they're based out in Indianapolis and have a tremendous, you know, book of business and customer base in the Midwest. They view New York City as a strategic market for them. Uh, that's where I am. They have a, a small sales team, and it just made sense for me to kind of support them, uh, you know, on a more formal basis. So I'm actively coaching, you know, their their sales reps and helping them upskill in a variety of ways, and then also opening some doors for them with prospective customers here in the Metro New York area. Uh, it's been fantastic. I, I truly enjoy it. That's awesome. I love having fractional leaders on the show because you have a very different perspective, I think, than someone that, um, because you get to work with multiple companies and you get to compare and contrast and all that. What's been the most exciting thing for you in your role as a fractional VP? Yeah, great question. I think um, you you were alluding to perspective, right? And the my background, you know, is really in, in B2B SaaS. So I've spent the better part of 14 years with growth stage uh, B2B software companies. And, um, you know, I've, I've been part of, you know, several different journeys, you know, the, the zero to 10 million journey uh, that with a company that was ultimately acquired for 100 million, um, you know, a sales leader with a series C company and, you know, took them from 20 to 40 million. And, uh, you know, everything in between. So it's been um, it's been really uh, valuable to just kind of understand how it, what it feels like to operate, you know, in a high growth environment, uh, take a look at the, the blueprint for success and and to bring, you know, those learnings to other companies that have similar aspirations. And um, you don't necessarily need to operate in like the B2B SaaS, uh, you know, space to um to still build kind of like a healthy sustainable business and to 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 learn from other operators who have done it you know outside of your industry sector so it's been it's been really rewarding you know taking some of the best practices in terms of like how to build and scale a team with a software company refine it a little bit you know so um it it reflects the nuance of either like a services based company or maybe a marketplace type environment and then implement that there 
Yeah, because they can they're all suffering from very similar self-inflicted wounds, so to speak. Uh, and you can be that remedy for them. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you want to be in sales when you were going through college or did you have a different vision for yourself? Yeah, really good question. Um, so I think like most kids in college, I didn't really know what it is that I wanted to do when I graduated. Um, I knew that I, uh, well, I always grew up playing sports. I loved sports, uh, um, into health and wellness. And I enjoy like people connections, you know, very people focused, like human interactions. Uh, so people said, well, you, you should consider sales. Um, you know, you'll, you'll be talking to and listening to a lot of people. And if you can find a company that operates at the intersection of maybe sports or fitness uh, and, and technology, then that would be a great fit. Um, so I kind of was listening, you know, to, uh, to all those people. And I actually let my love for sports guide the early stages of my career. Uh, I ended up, you know, landing a position with Reebok uh, at other global headquarters, which is just south of Boston, uh, in a sales operations role. Uh, and I was there for, for four years, and it was just a, a tremendous place to, to be, uh, kind of like a dream job for, you know, 22-year-old coming out of college. Oh, yeah. Do you get a lot of free swag, Reebok swag, or... Uh, yes. And also every one of my paychecks went right to the company store. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, um, what was actually really cool about my time at Reebok was I, I am the, I guess, like the perfect body type for a medium. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was one of their product fit testers. Oh, no so, kidding. Any prototype that they were designing and developing, whether it was like athletic apparel or even like footwear, um, I would get to test it. And, you know, you, you, yeah. you test it, you write a report on it and you give it back to the product designers, but you also get to keep all the prototypes. Yeah. So for that reason, I didn't have to buy any workout gear for about four years. Yeah. <laughs> I was just getting it. But um, but anything in the company store, you know, uh, whatever the apparel the headwear the footwear anything um it was right there and uh yeah i'd say half my paycheck went to the company store and the other half went to paying rent oh yeah yeah uh, that's awesome that's that's a great way to start especially in an environment like that i think it's really great when uh, people can start at a larger company like that as long as they've got the infrastructure for training and supporting growth uh, because it's hard when you're first starting out what was your experience like um, started on going through that learning path that everyone has to go through. Yeah. So, um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm very much the type of person where, you know, you, you put your head down, you do your work, you do it well, and then hopefully you'll be rewarded. You know, hopefully there's someone, whether it's your boss or a peer who will, who will champion your efforts and, and kind of help you continue to grow and elevate you within the organization. Uh, I'm not the person to, uh, uh, I don't know, just, um, I'm, you know, the phrase is, uh, I think it's what the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease or whatever. Like, that's just not who I am. Right. Uh, so, uh, it was just very important that I do my work and I do it exceptionally well and let my work speak for itself. Um, and in a big company, sometimes it, you can get lost, right? You can be, you know, just just another number, especially a company that uh, is in some form of a transition. 
you know, like in, in 2008, um, Reebok was acquired by Adidas. So there was a lot of restructuring that took place then. Um, but I was with the company, you know, for a few years before that happened. And yeah, like having, uh, I think, um, any form of uh, like a mentor within the organization or outside the organization is just so, so important um, because they're the ones that can help you with strategic guidance, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, how, it, whatever it is that you're doing at this time, like, how does that, how does that ladder into, you know, your growth as a professional, you know, and are you headed down the right path, you know? Um, so, uh, I was fortunate to have a blue chip company like Reebok, you know, on, on my resume early on and learned a lot there in, in, in that role in the sales operations role. Um, what I, what I didn't do is proactively seek out like a true mentor, uh, which, you know, if you could go back and do it all over again, I, I would have done that. You know, I would have found someone who would help me just kind of like create the headspace to think about the next five years and not the next five weeks, you know, so to speak. Yep. yep. I can relate so much to what you're saying. I was the exact same way. And, you know, to where it was like, to me, it's all about your work. Hey, if you're doing a great job, that's what matters, right? And what I didn't realize you know, that I know now what's so important is you need to also understand the politics and how to navigate all of that, especially in larger companies. Um, that to not have someone to really guide you through that, man, there's a lot of minefields, a um, lot of lot of missteps you can make without someone really, you know, savvy to help help you along through those, you know, the there's just so many traps you can fall into if you're, you know, especially in a highly political environment. Uh, that's something looking back on my career, I wish I had, because um, even now I struggle with that. Um, when I when we consult in at larger organizations, and I can you know I get the unique privilege of being able to not really be impacted necessarily by the politics, but I can see it, and then yeah. I'm like, man, I am just so glad I'm not like in the middle of that. Um, that that's a that could be a tough spot to be in. So. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And I, I wish I was just a bit more curious, you know, uh, in my 20s. Yeah. You know, in my 20s, I was the person where it's like, here's your assignment, Chris, now go execute on it. Right. And that was my job. You know, that was my remit. Uh, I probably should have just asked some more questions, you know, like some just to be curious, like, hey, I'd love to know how my individual role like ladders up to maybe the, the company objectives. Right help me see the the big picture. And, and if possible, could you draw me a map? You know, uh, if I continue to do well, like what's next for me? And uh, so just being curious, I think is something we could all benefit from. And I, I'm incredibly curious now, you know, here I am oh, yeah. like 18 years later, but yeah. uh, wish I was a bit more curious in my twenties. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Cause that is another one like that too, where they look great. I'll do it. Yeah. Not asking why, you know, what's this for? What's, how's this benefiting anyone or where's this going to go? Um, I, you know, you're essentially a cog in the machine when you're like that. Um, so tell me about your transition into leadership. What drove that motivation for you personally to head into leadership? Sure. Yeah. So um in 2009, I moved from Boston to New York, you know, to, to New York City. Uh, so this was a year after the Adidas acquisition. And at the same time, the tech scene was really starting to boom in, in New York. 
There was a lot of institutional capital being invested into you know, the private sector. And it felt like a new startup was popping up every single week. Uh, I'm originally from the, the Connecticut, New York border. So for a few reasons, it was just it just made sense for me to relocate. And that's when I jumped into you know, the world of, of software, the, the SaaS space. Um, and I was fortunate to join a great company uh, in, in Stella Connect. Uh, I was, you know, hired as an account executive, you know, so an individual contributor carrying a bag, selling, uh, you know, software to, uh, you know, blue chip brands, you know, that all of them have an e-commerce product because the the technology power is kind of like customer experience uh, software on the back end for e-commerce um, companies. And, uh, and it was an amazing experience the the culture is fantastic the co the co-founders are just great guys uh they they led with empathy you know they're very transparent you know with the whole team there uh and we all felt like we were rowing in the same direction and just working towards a common goal and and fortunately we we grew pretty quickly you know we did the zero to ten million in arr in about two and a half years um and uh and the only reason I, I ended up leaving the organization is because I had an opportunity to move into my uh, my first leadership role, um, you know, as a, as a frontline manager for a Series C company. Um, so I think it just goes back to like me being very people focused. I love to coach and motivate and and get groups of you know individuals to come together as a cohesive unit and work towards a common goal. And when you're in a leadership position, uh, you have the opportunity to to do that. So uh, I jumped on it and uh, I haven't looked back. I, I love just um, being able to, uh, you know, be a positive influence on people and just get them to get more from themselves that they felt like they could uh, alone. So you just described some of your attributes that, um, do you feel like those are really the core of what's really contributed to your success as a sales leader or are there additional things you would add to that list? Yeah, I think uh, so being people focused is definitely one of them. Um, you know, if I had to pick you know, two others, uh, I'd say discipline goes a long way. So I, uh, I'm incredibly disciplined, um, very regimented, maybe even to a fault. Uh, I make the joke that I'm, uh, I'm very easy to find because I typically do the same things, you know, every day. I just, I like uh, operating in some form of a structured environment. You know, so I think taking a disciplined approach to anything you do um, is smart and, and discipline will always trump motivation. You know, I think motivation is a feeling and, and feelings come and go. One day you could be motivated and the next day you might not be. But but discipline is like an a way of operating. It's, it's how you're hardwired. Um, so I think being disciplined very helps. And then, uh, you know, analytical and data driven in a leadership role becomes very important. You know, so um, there's nothing wrong with, you know, trusting your instincts and, and relying on your gut, but you kind of want to package that with some form of, of data to support whatever decision you're going to make. You know, so I think between being disciplined, data driven, and then very people focused, uh, that kind of like sets me up to be uh, hopefully a, you know, a very good leader. Where's the discipline come from? Were you always like that or did you learn that? Um, I was always like that. Uh, I think you can learn discipline to a certain extent, but I think there's a lot of people that that's just how they're hardwired. Um, 
Sam Jacobs, who he's the he's the CEO and founder of Pavilion, uh, which I'm a member of. And he's there's a, a really good podcast called Top Line that he's on. He said something last week that really resonated with me. And he said, you can't put in what uh, what God left out. You know, so like when you're looking at maybe colleagues you want to work with or you're screening, you know, candidates that you, you might potentially hire. Um, what is it that you're looking for in that candidate? You know, I, I, I know what I look for. It's, you know, it's ambition, it's discipline, it's motivation, it's persistence, everything else you can teach. Right. But if they lack of those traits, those characteristics, I don't know that you can teach that. I just don't know that they have the capacity to, you know, to exhibit those traits and characteristics. So for me, I just think it's, it's a combination of just who I am, my upbringing, you know, I, I am, I'm the oldest of three kids. Both of my parents worked, you know, uh, and, um, you know, that work ethic was instilled in, in all of us, you know, so growing up, you're, you're, you're raking leaves, you're, you're side hustling here or there to make any money that you can, you know, you're taking jobs to, um, you know, provide you with the income you need uh, throughout school and all that. Uh, and that's why I have a deep sense of appreciation for people that, you know, are, they can work hard, you know, it's, it's become very easy to work smart these days, I think, especially with all the advancements in technology and generative AI, like working smart is almost kind of table stakes. Uh, but working hard, you still have to find that in a person, you know, the hard worker, and I'll, I'll always value the hard worker a bit more than like a smart worker. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just watching the uh, um, the podcast the the Kelsey brothers do, yeah. and it was an episode where they had uh, Jason Kelsey's wife on, and she was talking about how hyper competitive her husband is. Like anytime they're playing a game, he's gonna win. It doesn't matter what they're doing; he's gonna win. And he mentioned like, oh yeah, Travis Kelsey's the exact same way. And when you look at people that really do well in sports, like the people like Tom Brady, so like hyper, hyper competitive, doesn't matter what they're doing, you're playing them at ping pong, they're playing to win. You know, and that, I think that is an innate in people. Either you have that or you don't. It's hard to teach someone to be competitive or to be, I think you can teach people to a degree to be a hard worker, but you got to start early. So like for me, with was, I had this very similar upbringing where, you know, we lived in a rural area where you were expected to work. You know, it didn't matter how old you were, you're doing something. And that's the way I grew up. And that's, I'm still that way. Um, so tell me about the hardest thing about being a sales leader in your career. What's been the toughest thing for you to master, cope with, whatever? Yeah, I think about, you know, some of the challenges that I've faced along my journey, at least as it relates into sales leadership. And I think um, being a frontline manager is probably one of the most difficult jobs you'll ever have, uh, especially if you've got a lot of, you know, a number of direct reports, you know, um, that you're supporting. Uh there's always going to be a challenge with managing up and managing down and trying to strike the right balance between the two. Uh, you know, like as you, I think as you progress like further into your career and assume like senior leadership roles, 
your relationship with the executive team, the executive leadership team is a relationship that really matters most. Like there has to be alignment between you and the rest of the ELT. Like that's your first family right there. Yep. Um, and then, of course, whether you've got, you know, frontline managers, second line managers and, you know, individual contributors, like those relationships certainly matter. But I do think, you know, for anyone in frontline management or second line management, like it's a very challenging role because you have a lot of relationships you need to manage. And it's it, people are people, you know, some people have good days, some people have bad days. So, you know, you're not a product designer or a developer where it's you and a piece of code or like some technology, like you're managing human beings. Uh, and that can be very difficult. You know, that's where like, just, you know, empathy really plays a big role. And, and you also have to remember like you as the leader, you may not always have great days. Like you could be in a, in a bad mood as well. So, yeah. you know, you really have to, you know, to stop and, and think about, okay, like, how am I going to present today, right? Even though, you know, choose your scenario, maybe you didn't sleep because you have a newborn that was up all night, and you've got a big presentation the next day, uh, and you're coming in and you're exhausted, but you still need, you know, to be there for your team, uh, and the leadership team as well, you know, so um, I think just managing relationships up, down, and cross-departmental relationships is challenging for anyone in a leadership role. And it certainly was for me. Oh, yeah. And I look back, like my first manager job, that's the other part, you're, so you're doing everything you're saying, but you're also learning how to be a leader, you know, which again, some people have that innate to a degree, but you still have to learn so much in that job. Um, couldn't agree. You're the first one who's giving me that answer. And I love that answer, because I'm like, it is really hard to be a frontline manager. You know, especially if it's your first time doing it, it's super hard. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, if you're, let's say, a frontline manager, hopefully the executive team, you know, gives you the latitude to learn, you know, to grow. Yep. Right. Um, uh, that's the only way like you will get you, you will become better as a leader. Uh, I think being a great leader kind of only comes from experience, you know. So you have to start somewhere and hopefully you have the support of the executive leadership team. You know, I, I heard a great quote the other day um, that about leadership, where it's like, leaders don't always have to make the best decision. They just need to make sure the best decision is made. You know, so it doesn't have to be the leader that makes the decision. Right. You need to make sure that the best decision is made. And that kind of stopped and made me think about, okay, like, yeah. Uh, you know, as a leader, like who you surround yourself with is so important. Oh, oh, so, so, so important. I, I remember that's like in my first, I always thought like, oh, I'm the one that has to make all the decisions because I'm the leader. That's another one where it's like, no, you know, you're not helping your team. If you're the one making all the decisions, how are they learning? You know, how are they going to have an opportunity to fail, to get stuff wrong and learn, you know? So, yeah, that's super important. Um, the other key part I think is supporting those frontline managers, as you were saying before, is a mentor, you know, especially if it's their first role, pairing them up with a good mentor. Um, is that something you strive to do today? Yeah, uh, very good question. And, and yes, so I, um, for, for anyone out there, you know, that might be looking for a mentor, if I can be a resource for you, I'm, I'm happy to do so. Uh, and I'm motivated to do that for personal reasons. And that's because I actually 
never sought out a mentor in the early days of, of my career. You know, we, we talked about that heads down mentality, do your work, you will be rewarded, someone will champion your efforts. Like sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and uh, maybe I, I use the analogy of like chess versus checkers, right? I think a mentor can help you understand how to play the game of chess. Like think strategic, think long-term. Uh, and I, uh, I've, I've received advice, you know, from, from people along my, my career for sure, but I've never actually formalized, you know, that mentor apprentice relationship where maybe once a month, you know, we get together for an hour type of thing. Yeah. And I know that would be incredibly helpful. There are a lot of communities out there, like Pavilion being one of them, where the community is, you know, it's, it's comprised of, uh, you know, go-to market leaders, revenue leaders uh, from all different companies of shapes and sizes. And, you know, it's kind of like crowdsourcing the information from people who are in your shoes or who have done it before. So like, it's, it's encouraging to see these larger communities, these, which are, you know, mostly online communities start to, to pop up, but they're no substitute for having a true mentor. Um, so it's, it's just, it's such a tremendous resource. And, uh, you know, it's a big reason why I'm looking, you know, to provide mentorship to anyone out there that might be interested as well. That's awesome. That's a great offer. That, and that's a real gift to someone, I think, because you're a gift of time and that connection and that relationship. It, that's a tremendous gift. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier balance um, and having balance in your role, you know, your previous roles in your current role. How do you emphasize that or or do, if you see someone who's maybe not having that balance, how do you handle that or what's your philosophy around engaging that? And making that part of the culture yeah um so we've all heard the term like work-life balance right and you see it advertised on you know companies career pages they're trying to attract you know the the next crop of new hires or whatever and they say we have great work-life balance i don't even know what that means anymore um no. especially now like post-covid where we're operating you know in this virtual setting like and you're always on, you know, Slack messages could be coming in at 11 o'clock at night. I don't know that there is balance. I like to think of it as work-life integration. And is there a healthy integration between work and life? Um, I think it is so important that everyone uh, like takes the time to disconnect and unplug every single day. And, and certainly on the weekends. Uh, having said that, there will be, you know, fires that need to get put out and, you know, you'll be responsible for, um, you know, for uh, responding to a call or an email, whatever it may be. But it's so important, I think, to to allow yourself to have the headspace to just like focus on whatever other role that you play in life. Like, are you a husband? Are you a father? Are you a son? Are you, a, I don't know, a, a peer or a mentor, whatever it is, you, you can't play those roles if all you're doing is responding to emails or sitting in meetings. So um, for me personally, you know, I mentioned like my passion around health and wellness. So I, uh, I love fitness, love exercise. Um, it's the gym is where I find solace. You know, I, uh, I try to get to the gym five days a week, if possible, um, put my body in motion, sweat, uh, and then recover and then do it all over. I'm just the best version of myself, you know, if I'm eating clean, 
I'm exercising and I'm getting a good night's sleep. Uh, it doesn't always have to be fitness though, Chris, like maybe, maybe someone likes to journal or, or, or they like to play music or cooking or, um, you know, they go for walks or whatever it is, as long as they're kind of like disconnecting from work, uh, and just being present, you know, wherever it is that they are, I think that's super important. And the only way to really bring the best version of yourself to whatever role you are playing that day, uh, you know, the boss, the spouse, I mean, choose your role. I think it's so important and something I encourage anyone on my team or anyone that I work with to do. Yeah. I've found like you have to exercise different parts of your brain and I do better. Like when I'm like, you're saying cooking or, you know, anything that like, cause I'm doing what I do is so technical. I really like to do stuff that's more artistic or things like photography or things like that, where I get to use a totally different part of my brain and, uh, or exercise is another big one for me. You, I've learned as an entrepreneur, you, it's so easy to just work all the time when you own a business. Um, you have to have that time to, to disconnect and work on relationships and connect with your family and all that. It, it's so important. And I love the way you phrase that integration versus balance, because it balance is kind of like, uh, it's almost an unattainable goal. So you feel like you're failing all the time. Integration is something you can do you know, and, and actually achieve. I, I really like how you phrase that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you're, you're spot on. Uh, and you know, good ideas don't just happen between the hours of nine to five, you know, right. maybe when you're going for a walk or when you're doing something artistic, a really good profound idea enters your mind. And that wouldn't happen if you're sitting in front of a computer screen, you know, responding. Right. So for so many reasons, I think it's absolutely important. Yeah, I love that. Let's shift our conversation a little bit here to CRM. Do you love it or do you hate it? <laughs> Can I have a love-hate relationship? Totally, totally. You <laughs> wouldn't be the first. <laughs> is, that, is that allowed? Uh, so like being the type A structured person that I am, I, I love a well-architected CRM that has clean data flowing through it. I hate uh, Frankenstein CRM where there's been zero data integrity, uh, you know, put into it, and the technology is working against you instead of for you. Uh, so I I can't take a stand on one side of the fence, but if my mm -hmm. ideal scenario is a nice clean CRM, all the pipes are connected, you know, and and uh, you can actually make. Uh, data-driven decisions, you know, based off of all the information flowing through the CRM. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, there's so many analogies you can make, but um, to me, it's like um, having a finely tuned engine versus one that is firing, misfiring on two or three cylinders. You know, it's like, hey, if you've got that finely tuned engine and it's just zooming along, life's great. But if you're off in a few cylinders, you've got bad data, um, so things aren't integrated, bad process around CRM, you're going to have a hard time. Life's going to suck in, in various ways. I, I couldn't agree more, Chris. And um, even like an anecdote I can share. So uh, as I was, I was a sales leader for an early stage, like a bootstrap company, uh, inherited a CRM that was just polluted with bad data. Uh, 
And that's because we didn't have that subject matter expertise in house, you know, um, there was maybe a uh, like a developer or a contractor that created the first iteration of the CRM, but they weren't designing it with really any like business purpose in mind. And as more data enters the CRM, the problems start to compound and it gets worse and worse and worse. So I think it's so important for any company, but especially the early stage companies to have someone that deeply understands the nuance of CRM, how to architect a CRM, build it for the you know reflected the nuance of your business like so it, um it's gonna work for you because it'll only get worse you know if if you don't yeah it's i see this all the time you know a big part of my business is doing rescues on crm and nine times out of ten it's exactly what you said they hired someone that technically is very proficient in in or maybe not even all that proficient but they have more of a technology focus implementing the crm like here you go but they have no ability to actually connect it to the business and how are we going to actually leverage this and align it to our goals and use this as a tool to drive growth. And so like you're, it's, you know, I've used this analogy all the time. It's you've got a thousand ton anchor you're dragging behind you as you're trying to move your business forward. It's not helping you at all. Um, it's like worst case scenario. So um, when you, in your role as a fractional uh, uh, leader of sales, how do you address CRM when you're coming into an organization that maybe they don't have a CRM or they have a CRM that isn't really working for them? How do you address that? Because that's a yeah. big problem. It is. Um, I do think every company should have some form of a CRM, you know, in, in place. Um, spreadsheets will only get you so far. And as you start to grow, uh, you're going to need, you know, that, that system of records, you know, in there. So you, I would have a CRM in place. Doesn't always have to be Salesforce. You know, there's a lot of other options out there, right? Um, but having one in there is super important. And then making sure that, uh, like, you have dashboards for the right, like, departments. The, typically, your go-to market teams are the ones that are leveraging the CRM the most. So sales, marketing, and customer success. Yep. And then, of course, you know, the executive team. So I think it's important to create, like, executive views within your CRM, uh, your individual contributor views, and even your manager views. Um, and making sure that, uh, you know, everyone's aligned in terms of the metrics that matter most to the business. So what it is that you want to track, Yep. And then you're you're all speaking the same language, you know, when it comes to the CRM. So yep. not to get like super into the weeds, but when we say the a lead, do we all know how we define a lead and how is that different from a contact? You know, so yeah. it's important that there's alignment there, not just on metrics, but the language and how you define you know, certain terms. Oh, it, it, boy, you're speaking my language. Um, that's such a common thing that we see that will come in, and I'll ask like, so what's your qualification criteria for a lead. How are you qualifying your leads? And more often than not, we're getting the deer in the headlights like, well, we kind of all do it our own way. And I'm like, so then, you know, right out of the bat, you've got probably a very crappy pipeline because some people are just slamming stuff right into the pipeline right away that really shouldn't be there. Other people are probably holding stuff way back until they know it's going to be a one deal. Then all of a sudden it shows up in the pipeline. You know, that you can't have that. Um, you have to have that common language that 
standardized process so your data means something um otherwise it's like you you might just throw mud at the wall and hope it sticks yeah there'll, there'll be a disconnect and what's what blows my mind is oftentimes like there's uh like if you're the head of marketing or you know you have certain kpis you need to meet and in some cases like your part of your variable comp is tied to achieving those kpis yeah and like, if you've got one definition of a marketing qualified lead and, you know, you, you, you think your conversion rate from an MQL to an SQL is one thing, but the sales leader has a different definition, there's, uh, you guys are just totally disconnected and you're not going to be, you know, rowing in the same direction. Yeah. Uh, so it, to your point, like alignment, clear definition, um, you know, on, on terminology, super important, and then making sure, you know, you all have the same view of those kind of like high level dashboards. So you can understand day over day, week over week, how the business is pacing. That's great. I appreciate your insight, Chris. We're coming up on our time here on Sales Lead Dog. Um, if people want to reach out, connect with you, um, learn more about what you're doing as a fractional and your fractional role, what's the best way for them to connect with you, Chris? Sure. Uh, you can always find me on LinkedIn, you know, Christopher Amrod. Uh, if you're going to send me a connection request, my only request is just provide a little bit of context. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people just send a request and you don't even know who they are, why they're reaching out. So a um, little bit of context, would love to connect with you there. Or you can email me at my personal email is christopher.amrod at gmail.com. That's awesome. So if you didn't get that information, don't worry, you can get that in our show notes. Um, you can access those show notes at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog, where you'll get not only this episode, but all our episodes of sales lead dog. Chris, it has been great having you on here. I, I love doing these episodes and I always learn so much. And today was no different. Um, I really appreciate you coming on um, and welcome to the sales lead dog pack. Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate you having me and I would love to do it again sometime. Awesome. That's a promise. I love it. I'll take you up on that. <laughs> As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.